Well, this evening we come to continue our series in the book of Colossians, and we come to a part of Colossians that is one of the most Christ-exalting parts in all of Scripture. So it's a wonderful privilege to preach this text. I was telling Pastor Moody earlier I could basically just read this text and maybe we, we sit down and, and go on our way, but, but I will talk about it as well. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, I'll read through verse 23. Colossians 1, this is God's word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well, I want us to go to the Lord again in prayer. And as we do, I want to be silent for a moment, and I want you to ask God to remind you of something about Christ that maybe you've forgotten, or maybe ask the Lord to reveal something that you haven't known about the Lord Jesus. So just pray that right now, and then I'll pray for us. Father, it's with great anticipation we come to your word. And in this text in particular, we we see Christ revealed. So, Lord, help us to worship more fully. Help us to understand in greater ways. Help our our hearts to be expanded to know this one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I wonder, when was the last time you had a song stuck in your head? Even right now, as I say that, maybe a song has come to your mind. You know, when you're doing errands, when you're mowing the lawn, lyrics will just burst into your head. And sometimes it's a little bit awkward because you you might just start singing or humming at an inappropriate time. And these days, for me, having the age kids we have, a lot of the songs that come into mind are kids' songs. And so our youngest, who's over there somewhere, or over there, I guess, walking away, 
He is one, just over one, and his favorite song right now is Baby Shark. Baby Shark. And if you haven't listened to this song, it's not a very complex song. There's only about three words in the entire song. It goes something like this. Baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, do, do. And then it goes to mommy shark, and then daddy shark, and then grandpa shark, and grandma shark. And then the song's over. (laughs) But as I listen to that song and I go away, inevitably, even though this three-word song, it will come back to my mind at some time when I don't really want to, and I'll start singing Baby Shark out loud. Well, why do I tell you that? Because songs are powerful. They get into us in a unique way. Sometimes when you hear a song, it can bring you back to the place you were, the stage of life you were when you first heard that song. Can you think of songs that do that for you? Well, when it comes to thinking about Jesus today, I I want us to think about what song is stuck in our minds. What lyrics come to your mind when you think about Jesus? Maybe it's a Sunday school version of Jesus. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Maybe it's the big church version of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. Or maybe it's the cultural version of Jesus that comes to your mind. Something like, Jesus is just all right with me by the Doobie Brothers. Some of you know that song. You're revealing your age by by laughing at that. Well, whatever song is playing, I believe God wants us in this text to expand our playlist when it comes to thinking about Jesus. He wants to refine our playlist and make it more accurate. When we think about Jesus, he wants this song from, from Colossians 1 to be playing in our mind because this is what this is. In verse 15 to 20, this is a hymn. This is a song either written by Paul or someone else This is a song that God has written for us to know more about his son, Jesus. And I love that God has given us a song because what better way to remind us, to help us remember than through a song. So as we leave today, hopefully lyrics about Jesus will be coming back to your mind over and over again. Well, let me remind us where this passage fits in the book of Colossians. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church, which was not founded by Paul, but his buddy, Epaphras. He founded the church, Epaphras did. And there seems to be teachers here in Colossae which were distracting believers from Jesus. We don't know what the heresy was particularly, but we know that they're promoting man-made religion, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Observe this special day. Don't observe that day. This, this day is a Sabbath day that's holy. Don't do this. Do do that And what has happened is the people are moving away from Christ and they're moving towards uh, this man-made religion, thinking it will get them closer to Jesus. And you'll probably notice a similar thing going on today in our culture. We've been told, pray a certain prayer and God will bless you. Read a certain devotional book and Jesus will speak to you. 
If you don't know about the afterlife, listen to a story about someone who has died and come back from the dead. If you need to grow in a certain area, go to a Christian conference and you'll have insight into the person of Jesus. Well, it's in this context that Paul reminds the Colossians and God is reminding us of the preeminence of Jesus. Just before our passage, Paul tells the Colossians what he is praying for them, that he wants them to give thanks to God for delivering them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And it's the kingdom of Jesus. And now in our passage, he is continuing to exalt Jesus. It's as if he's seeing these Colossian uh, heretics, these false teachers who are promoting things other than Christ. And he's saying, let's look together at Jesus. Let's sing about him and let's follow Jesus. We don't need to go beyond him. And so the main message of our passage today revolves around two concepts. The first is beholding Jesus, and the second is continuing in the faith. So if you just aren't going to listen the rest of the sermon, just listen to this, this one sentence. In a sentence, this is what this passage is telling us, that truly beholding Jesus will enable you to continue in the faith. When you truly behold Jesus, it will enable you to continue in the faith. So we have two exhortations from this main point. To behold Jesus, we see that in verses 15 to 20. That's the song or hymn I talked about. And then second, continue in the faith. This is found in verses 21 through 23. So let's first consider how we can behold Jesus starting in verse 15. You know, many of us, if we've grown up in the church, we may think we have a fairly comprehensive view of the scope of who Jesus is. We've heard all the stories growing up in Sunday school. We've read about the miracles. We've dwelt upon them. But if we're honest, many of these stories become quite normal over time. We're we're not affected in the same way as we were at the first So when we read about the woman who was bleeding for all those years and Jesus heals her, it's like, oh yeah, that's what what Jesus does. When we hear about the leper being cleansed, we're not like the child who says, wow, how did he do that? It's like, yeah, he he cleansed the 10 lepers. You know, only one of them was thankful. And we know the story. But as time goes on, as life has gone on, perhaps secretly you have wondered, Is it all true? Is Jesus really who he claims to be? I mean, I see all these people now kind of deconstructing their faith. I I see all these arguments from our culture, and I'm, I'm trying to wonder, is it all true? Is it real? And here Paul is saying, yeah, it's 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 not just true. It's the Jesus is the ultimate reality. And so here we have a beautiful song. It's a song from God himself in his word to us about Jesus. And these are the lyrics that need to define what we believe about Jesus. So what are those things? Well, the the hymn is divided into two sections. The, The hymn is in verses 15 to 20. And the two sections are divided using this word firstborn as headers. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can look there. In verse 15, we're told that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 18, we read that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Another way we could put this is that he is the firstborn of the new creation. So he's the firstborn of creation, and he's the firstborn of the new creation. So here we are in this hymn, and we want to behold Jesus. But before we go any further, we need to define what does this word firstborn mean? Because in our context, the firstborn doesn't mean a whole lot. If you're a firstborn in America, it means, well, maybe you're a little more bossy than the rest of the siblings. Or maybe you're more of a leader or something like that. But firstborn doesn't have the same connotations that it does in Scripture. Well, here, what, if we're trying to define firstborn, it's first helpful to know what it does not mean. Here, firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created or that he was literally firstborn. That would be the ancient Arian heresy that was debunked hundreds of years ago. And if you look at verse 17, we know that's not true because Jesus is said to be before all things. And in verse 18, we read that he is the beginning. In other words, there was no time that Jesus did not exist. He was not created He has existed forever. So it does not mean that being firstborn, that Jesus was created. What does it mean? Well, here, the word firstborn is being used to reflect the rights of the firstborn, the status of the firstborn, the inheritance of the firstborn. The firstborn was given more than the rest. They were given a greater inheritance. They were, as Doug Moo says, it has the sense of being supreme over You might remember in Psalm 89, in verse 27, this messianic psalm, God says of the Davidic king, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And this is what God is doing here in his word. He is saying, he is, Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul that he is the firstborn the supreme one, the greatest of all, the preeminent one over creation and over the new creation. He is creator. He is inheritor. He is control of, the author of all of these things. So all that to say is that Jesus was the firstborn, and now we see reasons why this title is deserved. And if you look at verse 15, you see it first. It's because that Jesus is God. Verse 15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. Now here, image does not mean like image of George Washington on a dollar bill. Or like when I was growing up, I had an image of Michael Jordan on my, on my wall as a poster. No, here, image means living image. As Hebrews puts it, the exact representation of God himself. This is amazing because God says in, uh, John says in his gospel in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God. But here we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It means that Jesus himself is God. It means that if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what he, who he is and what his being is like, what his character is like, 
You only need to look at Jesus. Verse 19 goes even further, if you don't believe me. In him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Everything about God in the person of Jesus. Jesus is fully God in every way. Oh, so Jesus can be firstborn first because he's God. The next way we can see he's firstborn or supreme over the creation is because he, in fact, is the creator. This is emphasized in verse 16 where it says, for by him, again, remember, talking about Jesus, all things were created. This includes everything in the heavens. Think Genesis 1. There Jesus was creating. What did he create? The text keeps repeating the phrase, all things, all things. Saturn, yeah, he created that. The Milky Way, yep, yep, Jesus created that. All the galaxies that are still being discovered, that we're still realizing the vastness of this universe, did did Jesus create that? Yep, he created that too. But not just in the heavens, it includes everything on earth. The land, the oceans, Switzerland. Yeah, he created that. Hawaii. All the animals that you've seen in the zoo and on documentaries. All the people and from all of history. Yeah, he's created all of them. All of that. Everything. But Jesus didn't create just the things that are visible. He also created, the text says, everything invisible. That means he created gravity, the laws of physics and nature, wind, atoms, particles, down to the very minute details of this creation. But he also created the invisible spiritual realm of heavenly beings, the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels like Michael and Gabriel and the whole host of heaven, innumerable angels, And also those angels who fell, the the devil and the demons. He created all of it. It's all created by Jesus. Well, the text goes on to give the purpose for this creation. The end of verse 16 says, "All all things were created through him and for him. So there we just need to make a, a brief pause and consider that breathtaking claim. That means everything in all creation, visible and invisible, were created through Jesus and for Jesus. That means he can lay claim and has claim over everything and everyone in the world. It means that you are not created merely so that you might achieve success in your career, or that you might fulfill your potential and maximize that, or make a good living for your family. No, you were created for Jesus. You were created to fit into his story. This life is not about us. It's about him. And so was everyone and everything and all creation. 
Well, in the next verse, verse 17, we see the third reason why Jesus deserves this title of firstborn over creation. Not only is Jesus God, which he is, not only is he the creator of all things, which he is, but he is also the sustainer of all things. Verse 17 says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Friends, Jesus being before all things means that no one caused Jesus. He is the first cause of all the universe. He existed forever. He is before all things. Additionally, it means that he did not create the world and just let it run however it may. He is not distant, but he is intensely personal. In him, all things hold together. This means that you and I would not be sitting here. I'm standing, you're sitting. We would not be here if it weren't for Jesus holding us together. It means that he is the one who makes the sun rise every single morning. And whether you affirm it or not, whether you're living in light of it or not, Jesus is the reason that the world functions. He is the one who makes it work. So to remind you, this first section of the hymn is compelling us to behold Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. Then we get to the next section of this beautiful hymn, of this song. In verses 18 to 20, it's compelling us to behold Jesus as the firstborn, not just of the creation, but of the dead or the new creation. This new section begins in verse 18. And in the midst of this broad scope of Jesus creating and sustaining all things, it's this magnificent cosmic scope. Then we get this sentence. And when I first read it, I I thought, wow, this kind of seems out of place. It says, "And and he is the head of the body, the church. We've just heard about the grandeur of the galaxies of the earth and the star and all the people, how he sustains everything. And this little sentence is here. Why does he mention the church here? Well, friends, the church is not a little thing. It's not insignificant. The church is God's plan. It is the... In the new creation, the church is the plan in the new creation. And so we should take note. To us, the church may seem insignificant right now in light of global politics and what's going on in Russia or going on with COVID, if it's still, I mean, COVID's still around. In light of everything going on, the church seems to be fractured. The church seems to be in trouble. But here we learn that the church is Jesus' very own body. It's those who have been redeemed from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. We learn that from Revelation 5. The church is the essential element of the new creation. Centered around Christ, this is the new people. The new people and the new creation is the church. Its glory is now concealed, but it will be revealed when Jesus returns. And so I want to just pause there again and consider Jesus as the head of the church 
It means that the one who created all things, that lays claim to all creation, that one is leading the church, is leading college church. And every biblical church around the world and the big C church, the church with all of its imperfections is led by King Jesus. And it is through the church that he works to accomplish his his purpose here on earth. So I'd ask you the question this evening, do you value the church like Jesus values the church? Do you love the church like Jesus loves the church? Church is not insignificant. It's a focal point of the new creation. Well, verse 18 says that Jesus is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. It means that Jesus alone has conquered death, meaning that he has defeated the sting or the power of death and he rules supreme over it. Through his resurrection, he has shown that. He has established this new creation. He is the first fruits. He is the forerunner of this new creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. So we've seen Jesus is the firstborn over creation that he created and sustains all of life. And now we see that he is the firstborn from the dead, that he's the forerunner, establisher of the new creation. And then at the end of verse 18, it says, that in everything he might be preeminent. Or you could say, first of all, He's first of all over the living and the dead of the original creation, of the new creation, or most highly exalted, or worthy to be worshipped. He is first by a long shot. There is no one anywhere close to Jesus. He is highly exalted, and he deserves our worship. Well, in case we forgot, the hymn further reminds us why Jesus is first in verse 19. I mentioned this earlier when it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's a fancy way of saying that Jesus is fully God. In other words, to see God, you don't need to look further than Jesus because Jesus alone displays the fullness of God. Well, we get a further glimpse into why Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in verse 20, where it says that God was pleased through him, that is through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The words here, reconciliation and making peace, should tip us off to the fact that all things were not in order. There is a major problem in the universe. Why is reconciliation needed? Why do we need to have God make peace? Well, it's because of our sin. The sin of our first parents and the resulting fall and then the sin of every single one of us. It means that every human being and every part of creation is somehow uh, in this fallen state. We read in Romans 8.22 that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's a major problem. 
But it says in the text, so God was pleased. It brought him joy to reconcile, to bring restoration and harmony or peace to all things to him through Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand. This does not mean that every person will be saved. We know that's the case from all of scripture. There will be some that will fully and finally reject Jesus and Lord and will be punished forever. But when God reconciled all things to himself, it means that Jesus broke down the barrier that stood between us and God through his shed blood on the cross. And he did that and it broke down the barrier for the human race and all of creation. And that new creation is being established even now. So what does it mean that he reconciled all things to himself? Well, there's two concepts here. There's restoration and pacification. And I believe Alistair Wilson, he's a scholar, put it best when describing this verse. He says, reconciliation should be understood to include two aspects. The restoration of relationship with God for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And the pacification of the rebellion of those who do not. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We know at the cross, the principalities were defeated. We read that in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. So there was restoration and pacification. That's this reconciliation of all things through his shed blood on the cross. So as we close this section of beholding Jesus, we've got to behold Jesus if we're going to continue in the faith. What are some implications of this reality that Jesus is firstborn, that he's the firstborn of creation, that he's the firstborn of the dead, of new creation? Well, there's a lot of implications potentially, but let me just suggest a few. First, Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine. Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine. The scope of who he is, the scope of what he has done is breathtaking. He is himself God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He does reign supreme over creation and he has reconciled all things to himself. This is the Jesus that we serve. And as a result of that, the second is Jesus knows, the second implication is Jesus knows what he's doing. And unfortunately, that needs to be said in today's day and age, probably in every age. Jesus knows what he's doing. Isn't it so easy to put the blame on God when our lives don't go according to plan? When tragedy strikes, when our culture seems to be going downhill, when our lives seem meaningless and not what we had hoped for, when we experience loss and tragedy and difficulty. Friends, this Jesus will never fail. He cannot fail. He will always accomplish his purposes in the world. And he, for those who love God, he is working all things together for good for those who love him 
who are called according to his purpose. We see dimly now, but one day we will see face to face. We don't see the full picture, but he does. We may not understand his purposes fully, and we may not even agree with his purpose from our vantage point, but he knows what he's doing. So Jesus is far greater than we can imagine. He knows what he's doing. And then third, we have nothing to fear. If you are in Jesus, meaning if you have trusted Jesus for your life, his righteousness, not your own, you can be fully assured that his plans will be accomplished in the world and in your life. You can be assured that he is stronger than the devil. He is stronger than any kind of world ruler or group of people that are trying to accomplish something in this world. He is not intimidated by anyone in the least. He rules over nature. He rules over all of creation. Nothing is out of his control. You also, it also means we have no need to have a fear of missing out. There's no secret plan for the universe apart from Jesus. There's no, there's no joy that can be found apart from Christ. There is no way of this world that you are missing out on. We can trust him and we don't need to fear. So once we truly behold Jesus as God's word, re- word reveals him here, then we can be empowered to continue in the faith. And that's the second call of this passage, to continue in the faith. Well, how do we do that? How do we continue in the faith? First, we do that by remembering the faith. Why do we need to remember the faith? Because we are leaky vessels. We just, we forget. We forget so frequently, do we not? I mean, I I forget even last week what God has done for me. I need to remember every single day, many times, multiple times a day. But what do we need to remember about our faith? Here's a few things. First, we need to remember who we were before knowing Jesus. For some of us, hey, Herb, that was a long time ago for you. Uh, You know, whether it's been a year or 50 years, we need to remember what it was like before we knew Jesus. Because verse 21 in our text is true of all of us at one time. It says, we were once alienated from God. In other words, there was a barrier. There was a separation. There was a loneliness between us and God because of our sin. Because we could do nothing to get over that barrier. We were separated from him. A lot of people today think we're basically neutral before God. Basically, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I think God's pretty gracious. He, he, should, he should accept me. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a barrier between us and God. And it's a big deal. The second thing is that we were hostile in mind. That means all humans, no matter how good they seem, it doesn't mean they're all angry at God. They're all cursing God at at once. But it does mean, apart from the grace of Jesus, they are hostile in mind. They are enemies We were all enemies of God at one point and rebellious toward him. So we were alienated, hostile in mind, and verse 21 says we were doing evil deeds. 
How many things can you think of before coming to Jesus that you did that you're now ashamed of? My guess is it's quite a few. These evil deeds separated us from the living God. And so basically Paul is saying, Colossians, remember where you were. And he's saying to us, college church, remember where you were. Apart from Christ, you are hopeless. You're alienated. You're hostile in mind. You're doing evil deeds. There's no chance. There's no chance on our own. But then we get the good news of our faith in verse 22. This vision, this Jesus, this magnificent creator and sustainer of life, the, the Holy One, it is He who humbled Himself and came to earth, and it is He who reconciled us. How did He do it? Through dying on our behalf. The text says, in his body of flesh, by his death. Jesus was a man. We talked about how Jesus is fully God, but he came to earth and he became man so that he might be our representation. He might die in our place and he might take God's wrath for sin upon himself. So back in verse 18, we saw Jesus reconciled the whole world through his shed blood. We talked about what that did and did not mean, but now we see that he did it through his body. The body and the blood of Jesus brought reconciliation. And what were those objects of his reconciliation? It's those of us who would believe in him by faith. Remember Jesus' purpose in creating back in verse 16? All things were made through him and for him. And as he reconciled us to himself on that cross, he enabled all of us to be restored for our true purpose, to glorify him, to worship him. We were made for him, but we couldn't get back to him if it weren't for him coming for us. So not only did Jesus remove the barrier between us and God through his death, That would have been amazing, and it is amazing. But he also cleansed us. He made us pure. He gave us his own righteousness. So the text says he reconciled us to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What a glorious vision. Here we were, enemies of God, with no hope in the world, and Jesus came The king of the universe came and died for you and for me. And not only that, he gave us his perfect righteousness that we could be holy and blameless before him forever. We've done nothing to deserve this. We have not worked for this. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? Where are you going? There's no, nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You must continue in the faith by grace, through faith. That's how you continue. Don't move on from Jesus. And today, you might need to hear that afresh. Are you trying to go beyond Jesus? Are you trying to do something that you think is going to make you closer to him? 
or justify you in a greater way? Are you doing a checkbox to try to earn more favor with God? There's nothing you can do. Jesus has done it all. So do you want to continue in the faith? How do we continue in the faith? We do so by beholding Jesus. Well, today I know there could be some here this evening that might have been around church for a long time. Or maybe you wandered in here and this is new to you. You've not heard of this good news. That you, starts with bad news, you, you have no hope. You're alienated from God. You're hostile in mind. There's no chance for you. But a, there is a Savior who died for you. And if you trust in him today, if you admit your sin, trust in him, put your faith in him, he will save your soul forever and make you like, like himself. It's the greatest news the world has ever known. So if that is you today, put your trust in Christ. If you want to know how to do that, you can do that just by praying or you can talk to me afterwards. But for those of us who have done that, what are some holes that we need to plug where the world has shot through our understanding of who Jesus is? Where are those holes we need to plug? What is the application for us, for those of us in Christ? The first is to stand firm in Christ. He says to stand firm in Christ. So along with Peter and the apostles, remember on all the people who were deserting Jesus back in, in uh, John, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So stand firm in Christ. Don't be moved by these movements in our society or by these fads, these religious fads and, and things that come and go. If you have Christ, that's, you have the substance. So stand firm in Christ and then second, watch out. Don't be lured by these spiritual trends that promise a lot but cannot deliver. Paul says later on, you know, all these things, they're trying to do all these things, but they have no help in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If we want to grow in Christ, we need to be connected to Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. He makes the body grow. So let's stand firm in Christ and behold him, and we will continue in the faith. So as we close, I would ask the question, how is God calling you tonight to realign or recalibrate your view of his son? What lyrics have been playing about Jesus through your mind that may need to be changed a bit or expanded or you need to be reminded of those lyrics? Can you put this Christ hymn on your playlist when you think about Jesus? That he is the creator of all. He is God. He is the sustainer of all. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of new creation. He's the image of the invisible God. And he is far greater than you could ever imagine. And this one has died for you. So continue in the faith for the glory of God. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, you take our breath away as we consider your plan for all of human history that you would even graft us into your plan, that you would consider us, Lord, you're your overall. You have the right to all things. You have the right to punish every single one of us. And yet, through the cross, we see your arms are open wide to us to come to you. So Lord, help us to continue in the faith as we behold you, Lord Jesus. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.